my brothers and sisters uh, today, uh, first of all, I thank you for coming. Uh, for those who are brothers and sisters in Christ already with me, and for those who I hope will become brothers and sisters in Christ with me, for you truly are one of my main concerns of now. The Lord has given me a word uh, that I will share with you briefly. Somebody's already said, should we put a clock on you? Uh, I don't think that would be necessary today. Probably maybe a reason a bunch didn't come because they thought I was too long with it. <laughs> but you know what? I'm not letting that stop me. Because I believe that no matter what happens, if I'm allowing God to use me, if I'm allowing God to, to take me, and he brings to me this group, then I should be satisfied. And I want you to know that I am. I give first honor to our Heavenly Father, who is so worthy of all of our praise and all of our worship, and to our fine pastor, who has really, really been a rock for me. And you say, well, how so? He's so much younger than he, you. How, you know, maybe it should be the other way and I tell you, I was a part of the group who looked at who our next pastor would be. And I was impressed from the first time that me and my wife and Janae walked into the church where he was and he greeted us. I was, I, I, my mind was made up right then. I knew in my heart that this was the guy that God was sending to us. And he, he has not disappointed. Pastor, I love you. I love you. I love you for your support. I love you for your encouragement. I love you for your family. I love you for all of the things. And most of all, I love you for the love that you have for God's people. Something that you demonstrate time and time again. When I walk, see you walk down and I see the emotions in your face and I hear the emotions in your voice. I love you for that. You know, I want to thank God's people, too, and that's all of you. For I have felt for a time that there's many of you who saw what God was doing in my life way before I saw it. You saw it. You knew it. And I hadn't recognized it. But you were faithful. You were faithful. You prayed for me directly. Some of you prayed for me indirectly. Some of you just prayed that God would have his very own way in this church. I thank you for your prayers. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your, your presence this evening as this is an auspicious occasion for me. It is so important that the people of God encourage each other on this journey. And that we continually encourage each other because Lord knows there's a lot of dissuasion out there. There's a lot of unrest. There's a lot who are turned their backs on the God that we serve. This is indeed a special day for me. It is one of those mile markers that I believe every Christian experiences. I talked about one of those being when the Lord gave me my precious wife. This is one of those markers when I will look back and think about 
first of all, the time that the Lord first entered into my heart and said, hey, I want you to do this. I will think about it when I think about all of the things that I've had opportunity to think about and how God was preparing me for this very moment. Who would have ever thought on a dirt road in Dixon Hopewell in a small town called Crockett, Texas, where every fourth Sunday they had a homecoming followed by a revival, that a grandmother who was so intent on making sure that everybody who came for that service felt welcome. She'd write these long five-page welcome addresses and guess who had to deliver them? And <coughs> she would slap my hand if she knew I had a piece of paper because that was against the rules. You had to memorize those five pages and believe me, she knew everything that was on that page. And if you missed a word, <laughs> you were going to hear about it. Who was to know that that very activity, that very thing that she was doing was preparing me, not only for this moment, but for every moment that I have experienced, even in my professional career? People wonder, how can you get in front of people and talk? Well, you just don't know what I've been through. You just don't know the experiences I've had. And as a result of those experiences, I stand before you right now, not afraid of speaking to you, but just afraid that I will not live up to what my Lord deserves. But now, I feel so inadequate. But I'm humbled that the Lord has chosen to use me in this fashion. See, some of you might be asking yourself the same question that I asked myself. Why did God wait till this guy got to be 63 years old and then call him in as a minister and nevertheless to even be a pastor of one of his bodies? You got to believe I asked myself that same question. And I'm going to take just a little while here, and I'm going to use a word that was given to me when I asked the Lord that very question, because he did answer it. Uh, some of that parts of that answer I didn't really like, <laughs> but I knew that it was straight on. I knew it was right on. I knew that he was telling me something I needed to know. Well, you see, when I asked him about that, he says, I want you to think about something that I said uh, inspired Paul to write uh, and I want you to think about something that I inspired Peter to write see when I looked at 2nd Peter and I looked at chapter 3 and I looked at verse 9 it says something like this that God is not slow as some would call slowness but he is patient with you and I and I paraphrase a little bit there. Because he don't, it's not his desire that any one of us would perish. But we would all come to repentance. See, what the Lord revealed to me in that word is that I'm not slow. It hasn't been that I haven't been calling you. The problem has been you. The problem has been you. For I have stood and I have called and I have beckoned 
and I have moved, made arrangement and I've changed circumstances and I've asked you and I've brought you forth and, and I have prepared you. I've given you the skills and the talents and the gifts. And yet, you didn't come. So I sent a man named David Adams to preach a sermon one day that got your attention. He walked down this very aisle and he says, it's toward the end of the service because, you know, he don't, he don't walk down there until it's about the end. He didn't notice that. <laughs> he says something when he walked down on that floor. He says, is he your Savior and Lord or just your Savior? Hmm. I was sitting up there in that pew right there and it, was, he he, it wouldn't have been any stronger if he hadn't walked up there and just slapped me across the face. Because I knew that I was saved. I had no doubts about that. But I knew that the Lord had been calling me for a long time. And I had resisted. Every time that somebody even mentioned the notion, I said, no, I'm just a teacher. <laughs> just a teacher. No, that ain't me. I resisted. And I strongly resisted. But when he said that very thing, I knew the Lord was talking to me through him. And I walked out of here that day. I didn't hear nothing else he had to say for the rest of that evening. I didn't hear hardly nothing else that anybody else had to say to me. Because I walked out of here and I'm thinking, I have got to respond. I do not want the Lord turning his face away from me. I do not want to stand before him one day and he asked me, why didn't I? not accept that calling. See, in this case, it was that precious quiet time that I reflected on what I had heard that Sunday. And after reflecting on that, it became even more apparent because he begins to show me snippets of my life things that he had done and the situation he had arranged and words that I had taught that began to speak specifically to me and to what he was trying to accomplish in my life. I, I, I was led to look at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 and verse 8 through 12 where Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel. He says at the latter part of that verse, uh, I'm, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to God until that day what he has entrusted to me. See, when I ask uh, God why now, the word he had for me is that it wasn't I that was holding it up, but it was you that was holding it up. And I had to admit, Lord, yes, I have been running. You've heard a lot about my journey up to this point. You heard from the, the video. You heard the interview this morning. You've heard my testimony. Uh, and I'm not going to go any further in that, but further into that, because it's really not about me. I don't want any glory. I don't want any shining light, if you will, and you paying attention to me. It's all about what God is doing with me and with you. And that's where I want to talk from 
uh, today because I think the question become will we willingly unconditionally and freely decide to participate in God's plan and his purpose for our very own lives and I didn't just use I didn't just pick those three words haphazardly but when you think about the word willingly it's a purposed choice to accept, to choose his plan and his purpose for our lives. When we talk about unconditionally, it means without any limitations, without any qualifying, it's just that God said it, I believe it, and guess what? I'm all in. When I say freely, that's the idea that I will allow, I won't have any hindrances. I will not allow anything to stand between what God has said is his plan and his purpose for me and for those around me and for all of creation. See, when you look at those three words, they all end with L-Y. That makes them an adverb. Go back to English. And adverbs, we are told, are modifiers of the root word. When we say modifier, we mean that they, they bring about or uh, they relate an, an, an intensity, if you will. They relate a degree of something willingly, unconditionally, freely. And when we look at this word, when we look at this word, we find that these are the things that you and I must be about if we are going to serve out our purpose. You heard it this morning. <laughs> equipped, called to be called to be equipped. You know, it's the understanding that God has given us some guidance through His Scripture, or how we can look at and assess our lives against those three words. If you just open your Bible to Acts twenty-six. This is the word that the Lord led me to when I was asking that question. And this is the word that I'm going to use just for a little while longer to bring you a message. It says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and he answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all of the things which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. By manner of life, from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all of the Jews know they knew me from the first if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sects of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes earnestly serving God night and day hope to attain for this hope's sake, King Agrippa, and accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? 
Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Why thus occupied I journey to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests? And midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven. Brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying, in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why, have you, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the gourd. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. This is what I like. To make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. To open up their eyes, and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that we may receive forgiveness of sin, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That was the word that came to me as I asked that question. And as I read that, I begin to understand that there are so many things in this particular word that I certainly don't have time to even bring to you even a half or a quarter of them. But I want to, under God's direction and guidance right now, I just want to focus on one small area. Just kind of narrow your focus down to just one thing. And that focus is your time is now. That was the word I was given. Your time is now. See, a little context here. Paul was running basically for his life. He was being pursued by those who felt threatened as he <laughs> preached the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. It was sad that they sought to kill him and doing that not realizing that even if they were able to destroy him, they would not silence God's word. But God's word would be proclaimed. They understood. They understood that, that they thought that if they could silence him, they could silence the threat that they was feeling. Paul used his situation and his citizenship to appeal to a higher level. Now, I could stop and teach a lesson just right there. When the enemy is upon you, when circumstances are pressing against you, you and I have at our disposal a very powerful weapon. We have only to take advantage of the direct line that we have with a sovereign God. 
Paul knew that, and so he 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 took this opportunity. See, Paul, he 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 wasn't really interested in saving self. For as we read about Paul, we find that his 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 primary focus, the thing he wanted most to accomplish, was that the people that God chose to intersect his life with would experience the love, mercy, grace, and peace of God. That was his intent. That was his purpose. That was his focus. And so it should come as no surprise that he would use this situation to speak a word to some folks who needed to hear about the Lord. See, if you and I was to take a little bit of time and survey the conditions of our world right now, we would see that the condition of our world is, is such that we are a people and a civilization, civilization undone. For as we witness and look at things all around us, we see all manners of sin, all manners of degradation of man, all manners of apostasy, all manner of death and destruction. It's happening. And it's only getting worse. It's happening on a world scale, and, and, and I contend that it's happening on a world scale because it's happening on an individual scale. See, what I've come to realize is that the condition of the world is predicated, and it is no different. It's directly related to the condition of the nations in the world. And the nation's condition is directly related to the condition of the states. And the states to the communities. And the communities to the families. And the families to the individual. Why do I say, and why is it important that we recognize your time is now? If the world's going to ever know what it's what it's like and what it should be, what it should be promoting and what it should be supporting and how it should be loving and caring, it's going to learn that from you and I. See, when the heart, as the heart is, is, is turned away from the one and only true God, the conditions that we're facing right now will increasingly get worse. You only have to just if you can bear it, turn on your TV set for just a little while. Read the papers for just a little while. See, since we note that the conditions all begin with the root at the individual, then it would dictate to us, logic would dictate to us that if we're ever going to solve this problem, it's going to have to be the individual who make that happen. Who are those individuals? Well, you're looking at them. You look around. We are they. It is our testimony. It is our faithfulness. It is our or prayers. It is our service to the Lord that is going to help to change things. See, our hearts, the hearts of the people must be turned back to Christ. It can't be that we entrust our leaders to do it. It can't be that we rely on our political affiliations to do it. It can't be that we rely on 
all of the different things, uh, the wellness programs, the diversity programs, our technological and scientific capabilities, all of those, none of those things will make it happen. It is only when the hearts of the people are turned back to the Lord that things will change. See, the only way we will ever be able to accept each other fully and in the right light is if our very heart emulates the heart of Christ. It's the only way it's going to happen. The people need an example. We need to be that example. See, if only when our hearts are completely committed to the Lord, completely surrendered to the Lord, completely aligned with his plan and his purpose for creation, that we are going to be able to make a change for the better. It's only that love of God that will empower you and I to get over our petty differences, to get over our petty philosophies, our petty traditions, and our petty biases, and start to love each other like Christ loves us. It's only when we internalize the word of God that we begin to live out and live in such a fashion that we impact the world around us. See, when the world looks at us as Christians and we look just like everybody else, we're never going to change it. It simply just won't happen. We've got to be different. And it starts with us as the individual. I don't like using Michael Jackson, but he had one song that was pretty good. That was the man in the mirror. You want to make a change? Start with the man in the mirror. That's yourself. That's us. That's us as individuals. That's saying that we will fully embrace, we will seek after with all of our heart what the Lord is instructing us to do. Be an example. Well, I got to move on. Just want you to be assured that when I look a little bit further in there, I see that you and I, and I'm, I'm looking at verse 4 and 5 right now, and, and when I look at ver verse 4 and 5, it, it, it shows me something. It shows me that we should be all in for the one who we say that we serve. See, Paul when he talked about that, he says, if those guys would just tell you what they observed in me, how that I followed to the strictest letter of the law, the religion that we, <laughs> we pursued, to, uh, being a Pharisee, they would testify that they can't find no fault there. See, to me, that spoke to the fact that if I, if I in my life, would focus my life such that I am all in unconditionally. That's that unconditional part. If I was all in without any limitations or qualifications, but totally committed to what God is doing in my life and what he's doing in creation, guess what? People would observe that. They would observe my attitude. They would observe my behavior. They would observe that my philosophies about life all matches that of the one that I serve. 
See, when I look back at verse 1 and 2, I see that on every opportunity, we need to be about testifying or sharing our testimony with those that God intersects our lives with. You know, I wish I had a little more time, but I'm going to have to move on. See, verse 6 through 8 shows me some assurances. When I, I looked at it, I was like, wow, you know what, this is, Lord, this is good. This is, I, I, I can see what you're trying to show me here. See, I saw that there was some assurances that I could put my trust and my hope in. You see, I saw when I read those verses that God is definitely the one and only true God. Unmatched. Unequal. Unsurpassed. All-powerful. All-knowing, all-seeing, and a host of other attributes that me and you cannot even begin to imagine. After all, he is God. But when I think about that, and, and, I, and, I, and I think about, you know, here I am at 63, and now I find myself uh, standing before you as a minister of the Lord, I'm simply blown away. But I shouldn't be. The question becomes, you know, what is the opposition? What is our opposition to using our gifts, our skills, our talents for promoting, if you will, and changing the world for Christ? I had to ask myself some questions. Do you believe that he is God? Do you really believe that God's word will be fulfilled? Do you really believe that God keeps his promises? Do you really believe that Christ is coming back one day? Well, let me tell you, I believe all of that and infinitely more. That's why at 63, I question no longer why he would wait to now. Because guess what? I go a little bit further in my Bible and it tells me that we have a cloud of witnesses. And when I started to think about that, I'm like, did not God take an old man and an old woman, 90 years old, and do the impossible? Give her a baby? I'm like, yes. He did that. Did not God give Moses the words to say and the courage to say them as he returned back to Egypt to free his people? What about that Red Sea experience? What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? What about Daniel standing in the front of all of those hungry lions? What about Joshua fighting the battle at Jericho? Has God not done enough to convince us that he deserves our allegiance? That he deserves our total and unequivocal commitment? I say he does. And that is why I stand at this moment. That is why I understand that my time is now. So you ask, 
When is it going to be, you know, your time? When is it going to be the time that you experience the awesome power of the great and the sovereign God? Next week? Next year? Well, I got news for you. Yeah, I promise. The world needs Christian brothers and sisters standing up right now. Right now. Not compromising on values, not compromising on ethics, not compromising on the word of God, but standing firm no matter the cost. Remember I said willingly, unconditionally, and freely. That's the only way that we can be effective in this walk. Well, I have a couple of more points, and then I'm going to sit down because I know you're all on the schedule. But I wanted to say this. One of the reasons I really like going out of the country and sharing with folks God's word is because they, they just don't put a time limit on God. You know, that's kind of that freely part, you know, that I talked about early. They just believe in letting God has it, have his own way. And you know, one of the greatest things about my calling is that I have now been able to enjoy that. For I have nothing more important to do than to sit down and allow the Holy Spirit to take as long as it needs to minister to me in preparing a word that he wants his people to hear. That's awesome. That's awesome, folks. Y'all try it sometimes. Better yet, you ought to try it all the time. When we sit and give ourselves over, when we allow him to use us in search of fashion, <coughs> need I say more? This has been just, just a great time for me. I get back to this, this, these verses, 9 to 11, and I see a very interesting point about opposition. Do you know that Satan is probably one of the most committed individuals I've ever <laughs> had to come to know about? Yeah. He's totally committed. In fact, it is his job, his job, and he takes it very seriously, to convince you that you cannot come to the calling that God has for your life. He tried to do it to me. And, you know, when I started thinking about that, he tried to do it to Christ. He tried to do it to Paul. He tried to do it to Adam and Eve, succeeded with some, with some degree. And he tried to tell me. He tried to convince me that I was not to be a minister. Hey, you come from a broken home. Your mom left your dad when you were six years old. <laughs> hey, think about this or that that you've done in your life. Think about how you, you people talk about how you talk country. I tell you, he has thrown everything, every bad thing that I have ever did, thought about doing. He has brought that to my attention. Because he says, God don't want you. You aren't fit to bring this word. And I rebuke him. 
See, Satan's tactic has not changed since we booted him out of the garden, since God booted him out of the garden. He has a three-tier strategy. Distort the word of God. He did it. Deny the word of God. He does that too. And contradict the word of God. He has not changed that strategy since the beginning of time. That is his strategy. See, Paul knew that. See, he had Paul a little confused at first because Paul was going around and he was killing all them Christians. And he thought that he was doing the right thing. See, Satan had denied, he had distorted, he had contradicted. But when Paul came into contact with the one and only true God, he heard the one and only true gospel <laughs> with as much with as much intensity as he was going the wrong way, he reversed course and started down the right way. You and I need to understand his tactic. And once we understand a guy's tactic and his strategy, we can well up a defense. But you know, it's not only on us to build a defense. For God has said he will take care of that for us if we will only let him. See, I just invite you to resist him. Don't let him fool you into believing that you are not worthy of your call or that you are not capable of your call. It's his job to make you try and remember that, but don't let that happen. Well, let me wrap this up. So I look at those last few verses and one of the things I take away as I read verses 12 through 18 is that we should be about embracing uh, this totally changed life that we receive in Christ. When we do, we become more attentive to his, his words. We not only listen, but we hear. See, a lot of people listen, but they don't really hear. And both of those are important. See, for when we do become more attentive and when we do hear, we are preparing in a sense to be delivered and to also deliver others. I came to that point. That was when I recognized that it was my time. See, the challenge I have for each of you is to embrace the calling that God has on your life. Just like I did. Don't, don't be a slow learner like I was. The time for your obedience is right now. The time for your service is right now. We need to be about showing them Christ. We need to be about showing and witnessing to the grace of Christ, to the grace of God, to the, to the, the love of God, and to the mercy of God. We need to be about that. My heart becomes so pierced when I look around and see so many who don't know. Family, friends, folks I don't know, and see the lifestyles and the way they live and their philosophies and all of those things, and my heart cries out. And God has said, hey, I want you to go and I want you to tell them. I want you to tell them. I've given you a talent. 
and I want you to use that talent to tell my folks. See, I can think of many reasons why I wouldn't be blessed with this privilege. But one comes immediately to mind as to why I should be. And that's simply by the grace of God. Only by his grace have I even been allowed to even be living. Only by his grace can I find the courage to stand before his people and proclaim what thus says the Lord. Only by his grace can any guilt that I've had from past experiences be nullified and I become emboldened about sharing the love, the mercy, and the grace of God with people that he intersect my life with. I challenge you to do the same thing. Not to wait. See, I waited a couple of nights. That first night, <laughs> I wouldn't go. I was scared to get up. Second night, I was scared to get up. Thank God for godly parents. Parents who pay attention. My dear old grandmother, I love her. I didn't think I did so much then. <laughs> but I love her so much for being so attentive to what God was doing to me halfway on the other side of the church. And she says, this is what's happening. See, that's what all parents should be doing with their kids. Observing. Helping them to understand. Bringing them, as the Lord says, teach them. And I thank God for her that he, that he sent her into my life and that she would do that. My wife had a kind of a same experience. For it was the mother of her friend who recognized what was happening when the Lord approached her and her friend. And she brought them home and she sat down and she had the same conversation that my grandmother had with me. And hence, she received salvation. Folks, I could only say uh, this. See, a few months ago, I, I realized that it was my time. This may be the only sermon that the Lord allows me to preach, or he may allow me to preach many, many more. But what I realize is that my time is now. I pray that you realize that your time is now. I want you to realize that tomorrow is not promised. The next second is not promised. For our lives are like a candle on a cake. We can be extinguished very rapidly. And you know what? when it is extinguished that is not the end for the Bible is very clear that there is a destination there's one destination that results in peace and joy and one that results in turmoil and pain but we have to choose this day who it is that we will follow this is our time. This is your time. Apart from 
accepting and embracing those roles, the world is never going to change. May the Lord have a blessing on the hearing and most of all the doing. And my prayer for you is that you recognize your time is now. If you're ever going to make a difference, your time is now. God bless you.